Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Last Wednesday on December 12th, Tencent Music finally completed its $1.2 billion IPO after a torturous road to the public markets. It rose 9% on the first day, but has traded below IPO price ever since. Tencent Music has been compared to Spotify, and they are, both broadly speaking, digital services based on people's enjoyment of music. But that's where the similarity ends. Spotify is primarily a music streaming service with some artist management tools for sure, but basically streaming music from the cloud. Whereas Tencent Music, to quote from its prospectus, is pioneering the way people enjoy online music and music-centric social entertainment services, we have demonstrated that users will pay for personalized, engaging, and interactive music experiences. For those of you who have never used anything outside of Spotify for your music needs, you might be mystified by what that means. What the heck is music-centric social entertainment services? And yet that mouthful, that's actually what Tencent Music is, because music-centric social entertainment services accounted for 70% of total revenues in the first half of this year. On today's episode, we are going to talk about Tencent Music and how it shows a completely different way that Chinese people consume, enjoy, and interact with music and our hypothesis on why that might be. We'll go into the business model of the company, the market potential, and our thoughts on the future outlook. So stay a while and listen. The president's key economic team goes to China. Uh, after whole night banking, I say I still want to do it. Hi, everyone. We are Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily, powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. We are a weekly podcast focused on giving you a peek into what's buzzing within the tech community in China. We uncover and contextualize unique insights, perspectives, and takeaways on headline tech news that don't always make it into English language coverage, so you can be smarter about the world of China tech. Tech Buzz China is a part of Pandaily.com, an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Yingying Liu. And I'm your other co-host, Ray Ma. We'd like to acknowledge our partner Steel Street Asia and SubChina, creator of the Seneca Podcast Network. In addition to Tech Buzz, you can also find the Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs on China. You can also find Nui Voices, a podcast on women, as well as the new business-oriented China Econ Talk, and of course, the Taishan Seneca Business Brief from China's leading business magazine. Be sure to check these out. And oh yeah, if you enjoy listening to us, please take the time to leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Facebook, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, what is Tencent Music? We'll save you the time of reading through the prospectus and give you a quick review of its corporate history. Its stock ticker on NYSE is TME, and it's composed of the following apps: QQ Music. Kugo Music, Kuwa Music, 
and we sing. Now, QQ Music, Kugel, and Kuwa were founded between 2003 and 2005, and they were independent entities with completely different teams that were competing against each other. Of course, QQ Music was a part of Tencent from the beginning, but the other two were both startups. Kugel launched in 2003 as a comprehensive music platform integrating music search, playback, downloading, management, and sharing. Its chief innovation was the playback of lyrics that was comparable to karaoke, and subsequently imitated by QQ Music. Kuo was founded by Baidu's former chief architect Lei Ming and Stanford MBA Huai Qi. As compared with other music platforms, Kuo Music could claim technological advantages. For example, users could hum melodies, and the platform would automatically recognize the song they were singing. Additionally, there were more than 10 million songs in their music libraries. At one point, the number of users exceeded 300 million. Nowadays, both Kugo and Kuwa have live functions, which allow for live streaming as well. Unfortunately, we couldn't test these products because of the regional restrictions on music copyright. You probably notice that if you are trying to access songs people share on their WeChat moments through these services, you'll get an error. Rounding out the four apps is WeSing. Founded in 2014, it's also another Tencent product. It's a karaoke app that allows you to sing with your friends or with celebrities, much like a U.S.-based app called Smule. It's nicely integrated with Tencent products such as WeChat, which of course can boost traffic quite quickly with its one billion users. Another benefit of being so tightly connected to Tencent, by the way, is the inability for Tencent Music to co-produce music talent shows, such as Produce 101. A show which created an entirely new crop of pop stars earlier this year and set some viewing records. Yeah, that was actually really innovative and really cemented brand recognition at the same time. But it's arguable that Alibaba, which also owns significant assets in online video and has its own entertainment and production arm, can pretty easily do the same thing. Either way, I'm kind of sad no one's asked me to sing a duet with them on WeSing yet, as most of the connections are supposedly made through WeChat. Hey guys, invite me. I love karaoke. All right, we'll get into Ray's love for karaoke later. But before that, let us tell you the way these disparate and actually competing apps came together. It was through an entity known as CMC. China Music Corporation, or CMC, was formed in 2012. Xie Guomin, the founder, had a legal background and saw the opportunity in acquiring copyrights as the music industry was becoming more professionalized in China. And the Chinese government was also getting more serious about intellectual property. Staying low key, he managed to hoard a large amount of music copyrights by signing agreements with nearly a hundred copyright companies and reaching long-term deals with forty agencies, of which more than twenty were exclusive. In total, these represented twenty million songs at the time. This was significant because the biggest spender up to that point, QQ Music, only had about fifteen million songs to its name. CMC acquired Kuwa in 2013 and Kugo a few months later. Xie Guomin convinced the founder of Kugo to be co-president with him, while the Kuwa founder became CTO. Tencent already owned a minority stake in CMC, but turned that into a majority position when it injected the QQ Music and WeSing assets into the entity for a total stake of over 60% at a valuation of 2.7 billion dollars. And that's when the company was renamed to Tencent Music Entertainment. When this happened at the end of 2016. 
Of these three platforms, Kugo was the largest, followed by QQ Music and then Kuo. Together, they accounted for 56% of the market. Today, it's even higher than that. Some say as high as 70%. Rumors of the impending IPO began a while ago, but it wasn't until September that the news hit the wires. The prospectus was filed on October 2nd, and the IPO was delayed for two months due to market volatility. And when it finally IPO'd, we know how that ended, below IPO price, as many have predicted. But is that because the markets are just terrible these days, or is it something about the business? Let's see. To talk about that, well, the first thing we have to talk about whenever we talk about China music is the importance of copyrights. When Kuo Music was acquired for nearly $100 million 10 years after its founding, Lei Ming, the tech founder, said, Now music has completely become a race to own copyrights. I am an engineer and have decided to gradually withdraw from management. Whatever did he mean? Well, Industry resources estimate that until 2011, 99% of music in China was pirated. But it was also around then that the government got much more serious about intellectual property, and there was a flurry of purchases for IP in every sector that touched content. And in China, where everyone tries to be a monopoly with few consequences, that turned into deals for exclusive copyrights, which meant price wars. Let's give you an example. Last year, Universal had put out a bid for new copyright partners in China. While the initial global licensing fee was only 30 to 40 million dollars, after several rounds of negotiations, Tencent Music supposedly ended up offering 350 million dollars in cash plus a 100 million dollar equity stake, which illustrates the depths to which it's willing to go to secure inventory. A few months later, Tencent reached a historic agreement with Alibaba to share or sublicense the exclusive copyrights it owned for Universal, Warner, Sony, etc. Of course, in return, Alibaba had to share its own exclusive rights for many Asian labels. Together, for Tencent Music, this amounts to something like a staggering 90% of all the copyright available for China. Increased profit from shared costs, but also the government's guidance, probably contributed to this agreement, as policy explicitly discouraged exclusive copyrights, as well as price wars. Do you find all this exclusive licensing and subsequent sub-licensing confusing? Don't worry, industry insiders do as well. The agreements are very different from streaming services in the U.S., who tend to differentiate on curation, product, and marketing. But in China, it's a volume game. And so having the most inventory, the most selection, has always been Tencent's strategy. And others have had to follow suit because of Tencent's aggressive tactics. But where is the rest of the BAT? Aside from going after some copyrights and making two acquisitions in the space, Alibaba has hired some titans of the music industry, including a famous composer, Gao Xiaosong. But making good music doesn't translate into making good money in music. And so, in terms of music streaming, Alibaba services are only number five, with the top three occupied by Tencent. The one thing Alibaba does have going for it, though, is its focus on new and independent musicians, not tied to existing copyright. Since it can't compete with Tencent on pure copyright, it's been focusing on growing organic original content. But whether that strategy will bear fruit, it's still a question mark. But if you're listening carefully, you'll note that we haven't announced the fourth place player yet. That's because it's not BAT. China's fourth place music streaming service is NetEase, 
a rather unexpected choice since Nettie's cloud music didn't exist until 2013. Nettie's founder, William Ding, is supposed to be a music fan. And the story is that he didn't find any of the existing music players to be to his liking. So he decided to launch his own version, which is known for its recommendation engine as well as active user comments. Many users swear by this service, and it's indeed impressive that for such a late starter, it's managed to do really well. As for Baidu, it made a small acquisition years ago, but it's not made any new moves since then except for renaming the service several times. It's not in the top five. Why are we not surprised? Even though the content is now all licensed or sub-licensed, though, the labels aren't very happy with the way business is done in China. You see, all the sub-licensing obscures where the real traffic is coming from. So Universal, for example, just gets one lump number from Tencent. Not any more detail than that. And also, the contracts prevent differential pricing, which means that the sub-licensors cannot undercut the licensor. So users are not getting the benefits of competition. But for the labels, at least there's some revenue now where there used to be none. Only 21 cents per capita, to be exact, which is far less than the 15 to $20 in developed countries. And while global recorded music was a $17.3 billion market last year, with year-on-year growth of just 8%, streaming services had a growth of 41%. So now you understand the copyright situation. But Tencent Music's model is so different from the economics that prop up a company like Spotify. Spotify went public back in April at a market capitalization of just under $30 billion. Spotify and Tencent, by the way, own a small minority stake in each other. In 2017, Spotify's revenues were about $4.6 billion U.S. dollars triple Tencent Music's revenues for the same period. Spotify was a high-flying IPO when it came out, but its stock is down about 20% for the year. Its Q3 earnings report shows that it had 87 million premium subscribers and another 109 million ad-supported users, which is in total less than a third of Tencent Music's. So last year, TME had roughly tripled the users, but only one-third the revenue of Spotify. And although it's growing faster, nearly doubling from last year, it's still at about only half the revenue of Spotify. It's really an apples-to-oranges comparison, though, because Spotify has only music streaming as its revenue source, whether that be in the form of subscriptions or ads-supported, aka free membership, whereas, if you'll remember, music streaming is less than one-third of Tencent Music's revenue. For Spotify, paying users accounted for almost half, or about 46% of active users. Compare that to Tencent Music Streaming, which has a paying ratio of over 12 times lower, at just 3.6%. The average revenue per user, or ARPU per quarter, themselves are not that different, though. It's over $5 for Spotify, and just less than 4 for Tencent. Yet, it is Tencent that's profitable, and not Spotify. Well, of course. That's because most of Tencent's revenues, 70%, remember, is from paying users for music-centric social entertainment services. The ARPU per social entertainment services user is close to $50 for the quarter, more than 10 times what music streamers are paying. But before you get too excited about that $50 number, know that the percentage of paying users for this segment is just a wee bit higher than that for streaming, at about 4.2%. And both of these ARPUs, by the way, don't have a clear trend of going up and to the right. They've been largely the same as they were two years ago, with the entertainment services business much more volatile than that. So what can we do with this information? 
If you take the glass half full view, then you can say, as Tencent did in its prospectus, that the room for growth for both revenue streams are enormous since the percentage of paying users is so low. Right. In an adjacent vertical, we see that paid memberships for video services in China is approaching 30% this year after having exceeded 20% last year. And a huge part of the Tencent music growth story is the expectation that a similar trajectory can be expected for music streaming, and that it will expand from the current 4% or so to nearly 30% within five years. I could believe that, even though it does sound optimistic. But Gen Z is much more open about consuming online. However, the much bigger and more profitable entertainment, aka live streaming business, will have to keep up as well. And is that going to grow commensurately? Well, even though looking backward, China mobile live streaming as a category had a 200% kager in the last five years, I'm personally not as bullish on this front. First of all, those of you who listened to our live streaming episode know that a good portion of the webcam talents on platforms such as YY sing for entertainment value. So there's a lot of competition for this kind of talent and content, and not just from other live streaming platforms either. Sentiments are against live streaming as more and more user minutes are taken up by short videos such as Douyin, aka TikTok. Although it's been argued that Douyin also drives traffic to the music platforms as the short videos popularize certain songs set to them as soundtrack. But still, YY, the live streaming leader, experienced 36% growth this past quarter. If we do some quick math, we see that the percentage of paying users for them on mobile, which accounts for the majority of its revenues, is less than seven percent. Yinke, another live streaming darling, fares a little better at seven point five percent as of June two thousand eighteen, but that's actually down significantly from over twelve percent a year earlier. Profitability-wise, the companies are doing well. They take fairly healthy cuts. We're talking about sixty percent or more of virtual gifts on the platform. Yinke, for example, had an adjusted net profit margin of eighteen percent for the first six months of this year, showing similar profitability as Tencent Music. You really have to wonder why the model in the West, with Twitch's gaming live streaming as a prime example, is still a mixture of advertising and subscription. Although there's increasingly virtual currency and gifting added in. Well. If it helps, culturally, there is just less of a cash-giving habit in the rest of the world as compared to Asia, especially China. Remember, WeChat's payments exploded as a result of the digital red packet Hongbao feature. There's always red packets flying around in group chats, and people are always showing off the red packets they get from their significant others on WeChat moments. In China, it's just a totally acceptable thing to give cold hard cash. Or cold hard cash disguised as virtual roses and airplanes, whereas in the West we prefer to be either subscribers or support our favorite celebrities by sitting through advertisements. It feels less like a transaction that way because it's one layer removed. Okay, that explains the virtual gifts, but why are singing live streams and karaoke so popular in China? I mean, for comparison, an article from early 2014 talks about the rise of karaoke in the U.S. But if you click through to the three top apps they mention, only one of them, Star Maker, is still around, and it doesn't look like it's a hit by any means. Even Smule, which we mentioned earlier, is similar to WeSing in terms of features, and is perhaps the largest karaoke-style app in the West. Has a lot of Asian users, especially in Southeast Asian countries like Indonesia and the Philippines. Who sometimes become YouTube stars from their work? Yeah, in Indonesia, Smule's brand recognition is 80 percent versus just 15 percent in the U.S. 
It knows its largest market opportunity is not here, but in emerging countries, including Brazil, India, and of course China. Which makes sense why Tencent led a $54 million round into the company in 2017. Who knows? That could become Tencent Music's next acquisition if it ever wants to expand abroad. For now, though, Tencent Music is pretty heads down focused on China. Even though there have been speculations that it would go abroad, given that Warner and Sony are also shareholders. And WeSing is driving a lot of the growth for the entertainment services portion of the revenue, according to the prospectus. WeSing's virtual rooms and premium memberships, in particular, are named as key drivers. I really wish this app was available in the U.S. Guys, if you haven't ever visited China, you may not understand the Chinese obsession with karaoke or KTV. But much more than sports or dancing, it's the go-to activity for both youth and adults. Research apparently shows that singing music together is a better way of bonding than many other activities. I know I definitely went at least every month when I was in China because it was the most affordable and fun activity of choice that everyone could enjoy. Don't forget, they serve food and alcohol and are often open all night, and there's just so many of them everywhere. Even the middle of malls now, you can jump into a private mini booth to belt your heart out for a few minutes or a few hours. So yeah, the demand for karaoke is definitely there. It's just whether or not WeSing is going to be the most popular platform. Given how obvious the opportunity is and how many competitors there are, WeSing is thriving though. Despite being later to market, it's taken over the lead in karaoke apps due to its tight integration with Tencent's social networking assets, especially WeChat. But that's not to say there isn't an opportunity for disruption here. Currently, the labels actually don't get paid anything for karaoke versions of music where the vocals are stripped out, so karaoke apps are not as expensive to run as you'd think. Yeah, there's lots of competition. So, how about we summarize what we learned today, Yingying? Well. We learned that Tencent Music got its real start when an astute businessman with a legal background saw the opportunity to buy up music copyrights in China, as the government was becoming more serious about intellectual property. He really cornered the market on those, and then used an entity called China Music Corporation to acquire two of the leading streaming services at the time: Kuo, which means "cool me," and Kugo, which means "cool dog." Tencent, which owned QQ Music, a streaming service, and had just founded WeSing, a karaoke app, was compelled to inject these two assets into the company in exchange for a majority stake. Upon which the company was then renamed to Tencent Music Entertainment, or TME, and spun off for an IPO listing that completed just last week at a valuation of a little over twenty billion dollars, far less, by the way, than the rumored thirty billion dollars from two months ago. We also learned that although the headlines like to compare the company to Spotify, only 30% of TME's revenues come from music streaming, with the remainder coming from entertainment services such as live streaming and premium memberships for the karaoke app. But as mentioned numerous times in its prospectus, paying for music is a behavior that TME will need to continue to cultivate in its users. Another key difference, depending on if you're a bull or a bear, is that only about four percent of users are paying users. For live streaming, the industry looks to be in the high single digits, but for music streaming, some analysts are optimistic it will exceed twenty percent in a few years in China. Perhaps at one point, catching up to the impressive forty-six percent commanded by Spotify. For both of those segments, there's plenty of competition. But it's the integration with the Tencent WeChat ecosystem that's been crucial to its growth.
And so if you're betting against TME, then you're betting either that paying habits won't increase quickly, that live streaming and other entertainment services are either a fad or highly volatile, or secondly, that Tencent and WeChat aren't as impregnable as they appear, which, by the way, is not an unpopular opinion these days. I think it's more likely the first two will happen, which means that TME will not grow as fast as expected and live streaming will slow and paying users won't grow that fast. But it will still benefit significantly from WeChat, so others will still have a hard time catching up. Before we close out for today, we'd like to thank Jackie Wong, a journalist at The Wall Street Journal, who wrote a piece titled Tune In But Don't Turn On Yet last week that inspired us to do this episode. We were actually supposed to have Jackie on, but didn't make it in time for recording. Thanks so much, Jackie. Okay, that's all for this week, folks. Thanks for listening. We are, by the way, taking the next two weeks off, so we'll see you again in 2019. We really enjoyed putting this together, and we're always open to any comments or suggestions. You can find us on Twitter at The Pan Daily, at TechBuzzChina, and my personal Twitter account is Rayma. And my Twitter is spelled G-I-N-Y-G-I-N-Y. Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily is powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. Pandaily.com is an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. Our producers are Shaw Wan and Kaiser Guo. 